the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. This is a show dedicated to answering your Bible questions and life questions and anything else that's going on in your heart and mind. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. I tell you every day, especially with rain on the streets today, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app and... um, one button. Call now. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. I've got some things I want to lead with, but we've already got a caller waiting on the line. So let me go to him first, and then we'll come back and I'll do an introduction a little bit after that. Let's go to Anonymous on line one. Anonymous, thanks for calling. You're on the air. I'd like to remain off the air. You'd like to remain off the air? Yes, I will remain anonymous. Okay, that's fine. What is your question? My question, sir, is this. I am a Christian, and I need some point uh, as a beautiful how to uh, you know, roll with the devil's punches, you know, because he he uses a lot of things, different things on me, like worry, fear, lies, mm-hmm. trickery, and deceit, and I just need some information spiritual information, guidance, know how to, you know, defeat him when he does these things to me. I listen to you as sponsor the radio. Thank you very much, Anonymous. Appreciate the call. And I appreciate you calling early. A couple of things. Um, uh, the first thing we have to understand is that the devil is dealing from a position of defeat. First John 4 says, he, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That's a direct reference to spiritual warfare. The, the enemy can't touch us. He can huff and he can puff and he can threaten to blow your house down. But there's nothing at all anonymous that he can do uh, as long as we stay close to Jesus. Now, when I say stay close to Jesus, when we're with him in a daily, minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour relationship, the enemy's going to look around and look for openings, but then it's up to us. We just don't give him any opening. Why? Because we're so close to Jesus. First Peter chapter 5 talks about we're not unaware of the devil's theme. Um, he's always roaring around, prowling uh, like a lion about to devour. And what he's really looking for, Anonymous, is the opportunity to um, find an opening. And if we don't give him that opening, if we're close to Jesus, there's nothing at all he can do. So we need to understand that we're dealing from a position of victory if we're in Christ, if we're with our Jesus. The other thing we need to remember about him 
is that he's never going to stop trying to attack. He hates the fact that you're a Christian. He hates the fact that he's lost your soul. I've been walking with Jesus for 28 and a half years. There's not a single day that goes by where I'm not under some sort of spiritual attack. But it becomes something that you get used to. Um, He tempts, he lies, uh, he casts down on the goodness of God. And all we have to do is remember every day what we already know has been declared to us in our Bible. That's the first thing. Understand where you're fighting. Ephesians chapter 6 gives us an outline in in, in the the spiritual clothing of, of warfare how to win. Um, the other thing is is the process, and this is going to be more practical. Uh, by that I mean uh, we need to know 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is uh, a verse that's easy to memorize, uh, and you ought to learn it. Um, um, no temptation is seized you except that which is common to man. By that I mean um, whatever you're dealing with, whatever the enemy is throwing at you, uh, other people have fought the same battle. So this is a common problem to all. But then the next four words are key. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that we can stand as in victory under the temptation. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. So understand that, that, that it doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus. You be with Jesus. You Hold on to what you know for sure. And God will deliver the victory over the temptation. I wish, like I'm sure you do, Anonymous, that God would would protect us from ever being tempted. But he doesn't do it. And temptation is the devil's job. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a destroyer. And if we understand that, then we understand the nature of the battle. We won't have any false expectations that the battle is going to stop or that we're going to somehow get to a place where we're not being tempted. We just always need to remember that we've already been given victory over the temptation. The next thing Paul says is to take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. And I'm just going to use a single example. If uh, if, if you're tempted to drink, that so you come from a, a background of alcohol, and you're tempted to drink again, Um the way we take that thought captive is by saying, no, I can't do that because that would displease Jesus. And so instead of giving in to the temptation, I'm going to be obedient and not drink. And you can apply that to any temptation that the enemy is hitting you with. I'm going to be obedient. And in so doing, I'm going to be pleased, or, or the Lord is going to be pleased. And I'm going to be okay. So it's, it's a daily fight. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Um, you know, if, if the enemy comes along and says something that contradicts what the Bible has already promised you, then what I want you to do is remember always what you know and rely on that instead of relying on what you feel. So it's a very practical solution. It's a day-by-day, minute-by-minute fight. And because the enemy is persistent, we're never going to be out of that fight until we're with Jesus. When we go to be with Jesus, Anonymous, either natural causes, or we go to be with Jesus in the rapture of the church. When we go to be with him, he's going to look at us and a smile on his face. It's going to be the only reward we need, but he's going to have others for us. And we're going to understand the nature of the battle completely once we get there. But yeah, we're in a battle here, and the battle's going to keep on raging, but it's okay, because we've already won. If God is for you, Romans 8 says, who can be against you? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. One other thing that just sort of popped into my mind, maybe this is the Holy Spirit reminding you, is that um, God loves you. Never forget that. He doesn't get angry with you. And being tempted to do something is not sin. It doesn't become sin until we give in to the temptation. And I hope that gives you some peace. Thank you for the call. I appreciate the opportunity to get that practice. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Hey, a couple of things uh, that uh, I was going to do at the uh, the top of the program, but I'll do it now. Is tonight I'm going to be teaching in one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, Isaiah chapter fifty, 
I absolutely love and treasure this passage of Scripture. Uh, and, of course, it's all about Jesus. So uh, if you want to watch, you can do that at calvaryessay.com tonight at 7 o'clock. But we've always got room on Wednesday nights and Friday nights. You can come in and join us if you would like to. Uh, you meet a wonderful group of people, and uh, this is a Bible study that I'm really excited about. Uh, the other thing I want to spend, if you will indulge me for just a few minutes, um, Paul and I were talking about this this morning. Um, uh, today, of course, is the anniversary, uh, 18 years ago, of uh, the attack on our country uh, by Islamic extremists. Um, Twin towers were taken down, two aircraft were flown into them, another aircraft plunged into the Pentagon, and I remember that day like it was yesterday. I remember that um, it was a day where everybody was so afraid. It became clear very, very early when the second plane flew in. Everybody knew that this wasn't a, an accident. And it was the day that changed the world. Now, we, we all have those days that we remember, but, but in my lifetime, and I'm pretty old, in my lifetime, we've never had a day that changed the world, the way the world lived, the way the world looked, the way the world behaved. No day has changed the world like this one has. And it's something that we need to remember. I remember as a pastor, I remember people flocking to church because people were afraid. They needed hope. They needed peace. And that's a good thing to do. You know, when you're afraid, there's no better place to turn than to the body of Christ, to the, to the Son of God. But I also remember that didn't last very long. Planes started flying again. Life slowly returned to normal. And people who couldn't get to church quickly enough I know it's safe now, it's okay. And I think that's a really sad commentary on the condition of a lot of our hearts. Why would we only run to God when we're afraid? In a different context, I'm going to talk about this a little bit in tonight's study in Isaiah 50. Why is it that any of us would get up every day and think that we don't need the Lord? Oh, I got this today, Lord, it's okay. Everything's under control. Why would any of us ever think? And yet that's what happened within a month of the attack. That's what happened. I also think on days like this, and this is a good thing to think about, how brief life can be. You know, we had 3,000 round numbers. People were killed in those two towers. There were people killed at the Pentagon. There were people in all of the airplanes that lost their life. And they got up that day like it was any other day. They had no idea that they had no more future. We all need to live our lives like that. On a positive note, I, I always think, you know, we can see Jesus any moment. He could come at any moment. But it's also true that disaster could strike us. And we all of us need to live ready lives. By that I mean we need to be ready to see the world. We just don't know when something like this going to happen. Finally, let me say this. Um, uh, we took a small group um, in 2002 on the anniversary of 9-11, the first anniversary. Uh, we went to New York. We hit the streets. We wanted to tell people about Jesus. We were there with another group, um, Festival of Life, and we had all of the boroughs covered. And we just, we just, got on the subways and shared Jesus. We went to the park and shared Jesus. We wanted to talk to people. We were warned over and over and over. People in New York have been hearing they need Jesus. They've been hearing uh, get saved for a year. They're tired of it. They just need to be loved on. And 
And don't tell him about Jesus. We were told we just couldn't keep ourselves from telling about Jesus. But we found, you know, New York's reputation. Oh, they're just tough people. They're just busy and they don't even look up. They just walk by. We found people who wanted to hear because they needed to hear. Can't tell you how many people we prayed for and people who made professions of faith on subways. We found that subways are a great place to share. In the parks, we went to Central Park and asked people to pray for us and asked if we could pray for them. We found people who were really hurting still, people almost still in shock a year later. And they needed to hear about Jesus. Even if they didn't know they needed to, it was clear that they needed to when we began to tell them. And then they wanted to hear. The Apostle Paul says, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. My challenge to all of us in this audience is not to wait until the tragedy happens, but take preemptive strikes. In that time in New York, I had the privilege of serving a side lady named Jeannie Bracca. Her husband was one who was on one of the upper floors, I think in the South Tower. Committed, born-again believer. He worked at Kenner Fitzgerald. And the last time Jeannie talked to him, he was in a room, shut off from any escape possibility, in other words, they all knew they were going to die, and there were 50 people on that floor with him in that room who were praying to receive Jesus Christ. In the last minute, there were others looking outside the windows and watching bodies fall, people trying to escape the flames. God had his people on nearly every floor Some of those people, because of that tragedy, were greeted into heaven because they were scared enough to say yes to Jesus. And when I was ministering with Jeannie, we were at a theater um, in lower Manhattan. We had a rally. We wanted to tell people about Jesus. He told the story. God has given her supernatural strength to keep going. And one day she'll be reunited with her husband. I think she's still alive. So use days like this to remember how fragile we are. Use days like this. Remember also that there have been some 16,000 first responders who've died since that day because of cancer related to those buildings coming down. God always has his people in place. Let's just take this day and remember the tragedy that happened. Okay, let me get to questions, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Michael has a question. Pastor Ronnie, have you read Alan Redpath? Can I have your thoughts, please? Um, Michael, not only have I read Alan Redpath, he is one of my absolute favorites. Um, absolutely love him. Nothing super, super deep there. Um, but this man had a gift. He's with the Lord now. Um, but he had a gift of, of being able to communicate um, in very passionate terms what a relationship with Jesus looked like. His book, uh, out of uh, his commentary on Nehemiah, his, his commentaries are not typical um, theology, verse-by-verse verse commentary. More sort of chapter-by-chapter chapter commentary. Um, and his work on Nehemiah is called Victorious Christian Service. And it is my favorite of all of them. 
there is another a victorious Christian living. That is commentary on Joshua. And it is a great, great read. Um, the Making of a Man of God. Commentary on David's life. Great value for us. So, Michael, I, I, I just can't recommend him highly enough. Um, his his books are such that you'll pick them up and you won't want to put them down until you're done. So you actually read through them very, very quickly. But Alan Redpath is a giant of our faith and and uh, he left a bunch of stuff behind to bless us all. So I hope that encourages you to pick them all up and read them. And there are others, by the way. Those are just the three that came to, to uh, top of my favorite. Uh, oh, praise the Lord. I got a, we just got a message at Elaine and Pastor Elaine and Jocelyn arrived safely in Manila. Uh, please keep them in your prayers. As you know, they've been on the program before, but uh, Pastor Elaine is our worship pastor, and Jocelyn is, is uh, his wife, a singer on our worship team. And they're going to be in uh, in the Philippines for the next two weeks doing um, some, some mission work. She's going to be doing some concerts. Uh, they're going to be teaching at a Bible college, and, and doing, doing, she's going to be sharing her testimony um, the reason that's important is because Jocelyn is sort of an icon in in the Philippines. You know, she is the first uh, Philippine uh, recording artist to make it big in the United States, uh, and um, God is sort of resurrecting that role for to give her an opportunity to share Jesus in places that he never thought was possible. So uh, they're going to be doing some big concerts there, uh, and. Uh, People be getting saved. So pray, pray for a couple of things. One, pray for supernatural strength. They, their arrival in Manila was a 14-hour flight uh, after a nine-hour layover in L.A. Um, and they're going to be really busy. They're going to be doing worship a bunch. And uh, so pray for that. And then pray that people get saved as well. Thank you for the update. Okay, Zeke asked, does being charismatic equal heresy? Uh, Zeke, no. Uh, we're charismatic. Being charismatic simply believes that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Uh, certainly we believe that because that's what the Bible teaches very clearly. Um, and while there are some cessationists, and that just means that they don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit are, are, are for today. Um, um, but the Bible never says the gifts of the Spirit are for So being charismatic means that we function the gifts of the Spirit. Now here's one of the problems. And maybe what you're referring to is the, um, there is what I call charismania out there. And that's well-intentioned, good-hearted, but poorly taught people who, like the Corinthian church, are out of control in their, their observation or their, their demonstration of the gifts of the Spirit. Whenever you walk into a church and everybody's speaking in tongues or you walk into church and the pastor is being interrupted from the teaching of the word. Uh, somebody says, I have a word from God. Uh, that's charismania out of control. So, uh, Zeke, we are charismatic here at Catholic Chapel. The Bible is, is again clear that the gifts of the Spirit um, continue in operation. Um, but being out of control is never of the Lord. And sometimes the result of that is um, people take um, um, an unbalanced view of the gifts of the Spirit because they've seen so many abuses of the gifts of the Spirit. You know, J. Vernon McGee, who I happen to love, I, I admire the man so much. He's a, a man that's been, he was, I think he died in 1988, he went to be with Jesus. And uh, God is using him every day to save people all over the world. Now, that's a legacy to leave. And yet he was so frustrated by the, the excesses and the abuses of the gifts of the Spirit that he eventually developed a, a sensationist uh, view on the gifts of the Spirit. John MacArthur, who is another uh, wonderful, gifted Bible teacher, um, who has taken that same unbalanced, out-of-proportion response to the abuses in the gifts uh, of the gifts of the Spirit, and he too is declared that the gifts of the Spirit are no longer uh, in existence. 
Um, they're wrong, but I know, I understand how they got to that position. When you walk into, even, even the Apostle Paul says, if, if somebody walks in, an unbeliever walks in and sees everybody or hears everybody talking in tongues in a language that nobody can understand, are they not going to think you're crazy? And Paul's telling them, be under control. God is not a God of confusion. So we need to understand that. And Zeke pursues spiritual gifts. Everybody has one, at least one. I think everybody has more available, but when you're faithful with one, God gives more. Uh, and, and Jesus said, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's a good thing, and we need to pursue these gifts. So Zeke, I hope that answers your question. Dave uh, Renner McGee died December 1st, 1988. So he just barely made it to 1988. Uh, almost made all the way through 1988. Died at 84. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. We'll get back to questions that we have sent in, but we'd love your live calls and questions. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to The Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final 30 minutes of the program today, 340-9585. Here's a very polite question from somebody who disagrees with me, from Virgil. I am post-mill in my eschatology, and I know you are premillennial in your doctrine. But how can you reconcile that with Paul saying the kingdom has already come in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, that seems clear that the kingdom has already come. Virgil, um, there's, there's a couple of very important distinctions here. Let me read first Corinth, or, I mean, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, and then we will we'll, uh, we'll answer the question. Um, Paul says, for, the, for he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of of the Son he loves. One of the things you have to remember is that when Jesus brought the kingdom, he brought it in a spiritual sense, not in a physical sense. Now, he's going to bring his kingdom in a physical sense, in the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. Um, um, Jesus is going to, to come before that happens, and he's going to establish his kingdom, but it's a literal, physical kingdom. Jesus, when he brought the kingdom, he said it was spiritual. And here's how what he, what he said. And we just talked about this not too long ago in our gospel studies in Luke on Sundays. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. And what he was doing was announcing there's a whole new way of looking at the kingdom of God. And when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and, and the, the Sadducees, and they were opposing him, they all believed, like so many do today, that the kingdom of God is something that was going to happen to them. You know, we're going to be here one day, then the kingdom is going to come and everything's going to be fixed. But the kingdom of God isn't something that happens to us. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is something that happens in us. And when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, the kingdom has come to us while we await the kingdom of God in a physical sense in this world. Virgil, I appreciate you, the polite way you ask this question, but there's no conceivable way that you can read the book of Revelation and conclude that the kingdom of God can be spiritualized away or that it can be allegorized away. It is a literal, physical kingdom. And if Jesus doesn't come for a thousand years, I think it's chapter 20 of Revelation, the Holy Spirit goes out of his way to talk about the thousand years or a thousand years. And he describes that kingdom. But we also know clearly that that kingdom hasn't come yet. 
So yes, there will be a physical kingdom. It will be Jesus ruling from the throne of his father David. But it is also undeniably true that the kingdom of God has been given to us and is within us. And that's what Paul was talking about. You know, once we were we were slaves to sin, he says in Romans, now we're slaves to righteousness. Why? Because Jesus rescued us from the dominion of darkness and changed addresses. He brought us into the kingdom of the Son of God. So it's very important that we understand the difference between the kingdom physically and the kingdom of God spiritually. That kingdom came 2,000 years ago when, uh, when Jesus was born and this world was forever changed. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit made his entrance, that was when he initiated or activated his kingdom on earth. And that kingdom is going to be active to the very last moment until Jesus comes. He'll come with us and set his feet down on the Mount of Olives and take what was always and rightfully his. So I hope that helps. Here's a question um, that came from Joe, and um, he had to hang up. Uh, Joe, I'm sorry I didn't see it, or I wouldn't have kept you waiting for so uh, very long. Joe says, I know Calvary Chapel does not ask for tithes, while most churches do. Should churches demand tithes? What is correct? Um, Joe, nobody should demand anything. Um, you, you know, when, when we are born again, and Jesus takes away all of our sin. Remember, the tithe was was under the law. Uh, the tithe was a law for Jews. They were f- commanded to give a tenth of everything they had. And uh, unfortunately, New Testament churches who were under no such law, uh, New Testament churches have adopted that because it's sort of an easy way to make people feel guilty if they don't give. Now, Christians ought to give. But the, the difference is this. What do we give? Do we give God 10%? The way they did under the law? A law that condemned them? Or under grace, do we give God everything? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says that that, that we owe God everything. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, in, in, in light of all God has done, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And that means everything that we are. Mind, body, strength, our, our resources, our time, our talents. God owns it all. Why? Because we're not our own. He bought us with a price. And Joe, if we as Christians would simply understand that we owe him everything, we wouldn't say, okay, God, here's a dime for you. I'm going to keep 90 cents. We'd say, Jesus, you got a dollar you gave me. How much of it do you want me to keep? How much do you want? And he'll, he'll tell you. And I, I think it's a sad commentary on the lack of faith in many New Testament churches that, that we still cling to something that makes people feel guilty if they don't give. It is true, you cannot give God. If you give to him everything you are, everything you ever will be, God will bless you abundantly. I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about everything you are. But money's a part of it. And if Jews could begrudgingly give 10%, why wouldn't we offer everything to God joyfully? So very important. Hope that helps, Joe. And again, I'm sorry I kept you holding until you had to hang up. I just didn't see the, the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from our mobile app from Caleb. Uh, do you think surrender is a part of salvation, or does it come later? Great question, Caleb. Um, salvation occurs when Jesus reveals himself to you. I think surrender is a natural consequence of God revealing himself to you. You know, the truth is, if Jesus appeared to us in a physical sense, we would all fall on our face with this fear of God and we would understand that he is in charge, we owe him everything, we would throw our arms up and surrender. But I think surrender is a result of an encounter with Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, Caleb. This is how 
salvation happens. Jesus said when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Of sin, because we're sinners. We've missed the mark of, of righteousness. Only righteous people. Holy Spirit has to come alongside and convince us that only the righteous, the holy, we're going to enter heaven. And judgment, if we refuse, and then the Holy Spirit used that to ask us the question, do you want to be saved? And once we say yes, then surrender is a result of that salvation process. None of us can surrender before the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. But the moment we ask God into our hearts, the moment we have that realization that we've just met God, then that changes everything, including our response to Him. And then we humbly, and I hope joyfully, surrender everything to Him. So it's a natural consequence. I think it's something that we have to understand very quickly. And I think if we've had the full revelation of Jesus Christ, Caleb, to our hearts, I think we will surrender self-will or surrender our rights will surrender everything to Jesus because surrendering to God is absolutely um, something that is is uh, required of believers we can't come to Jesus and say oh I believe okay I'm going to let make you my Lord I want to go to heaven but then the next day get up and say well today we're going to do things my way Lord. we can't do that just the idea that we call Jesus Lord makes him in charge so Surrender is a result of being saved, uh, but it isn't a requirement for being saved. In fact, I, I think I just said, I hope I said it clearly enough, that uh, it's impossible for us to surrender. Our flesh is too strong until Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. Good question, Caleb. Thank you. Here is a question from Sarah. Is it okay to sue a Christian church if you feel like they've cheated you? I worked for a church and did not get paid what I thought was fair. Sarah, 1 Corinthians 6 makes it real clear. Believers should not sue unbelievers, especially in front of unbelievers. That brings great shame to the body of Christ and to the Lord. So what do you do? That's the question I think you're asking. What do you do if you thought you were treated unfairly? God says in 1 Corinthians, that we would be far better off if we were willing to be cheated for the sake of bringing glory and honor to God. And I realize every time I say that, people cringe because, well, that makes us kind of sort of a chump. You know, people take advantage. Um, when you worked for church, did you do it for Jesus? Or did you do it to get paid? Let me share something, Sarah, and I hope this helps. We have a ministry here. Um, we've been going for 24 and a half years. Um, and our ministry never has money. My goodness, we need money so desperately. It's, it's just a constant thing that, that we've had to deal with. It's not because God's not blessing. He's blessing abundantly. It's because of the ministry God's asked us to have. We do everything for free here. We don't ask for money. And... Um, um, we don't make people feel guilty if they don't give. God's made it clear that that's the way we're supposed to function. But, you see, Sarah, I've got some 23 employees that need to get paid. So what do I do if there's no money to pay them? We have free school, free doctor's office. We've got a free house for, for uh, um, women who are experiencing difficulties in their life, all different types of difficulties, women who've been in trouble um, and it's all free. I think I said this on this program once, but just those three ministries cost $100,000 a month. In addition to that, we've got Joy of Jesus, and that's coming up in October. We've got Joy of Jesus. That, that's an expensive ministry outreach. We, we've got radio programs, and believe me, radio uh, time like this one isn't cheap, but this is something we believe God has asked us to do. We never ask for money on this program. As badly as we need it, we never let those needs be known. We never try to sell you anything. In fact, we don't even mention it. 
we do is we tell our employees here that they're working for Jesus. They need to understand that money isn't always available on schedule. Now, God's been very faithful. But sometimes money's going to be a little late. Many times. In fact, I'm going to say every time we're underpaying people the value. People that work here could make a lot more money in the world, but this is a service for Jesus they're doing. And I guess one of them could come by and sue us for not paying them enough or feeling like they were cheated. But I can tell you, we tell everybody at the very beginning, this is the way it is. And you have to be called by God to work here. This is like being in the mission field in town. But it's a calling. So Sarah, to sue a church because you didn't get paid what you thought was fair indicates that you're not, you weren't serving Jesus in the first place. You're serving yourself. You're working for money. Why did you do it? Now, if they broke promises to you, let God deal with them. But in the meantime, I, there's no way I could ever give anybody counsel, no matter how good it would feel. I could never give anybody counsel to willfully violate what the Bible has told them to do or not to do. And we are told never to take an un, a believer to court to sue them and that unbelievers mock the church. So I hope that helps there. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Kirk. He says, to be Christian, do you have to be a part of a local church? Um, yeah, Kirk, you do. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't real Christians who've fallen away from going to church, but, but I think we can agree that would be sin. You know, all the excuses I had a question yesterday about somebody who says it's okay to watch online on Sundays because they're really, really tired. Now, that's a sin. Um, if you're a real believer, Kirk, you're going to want to be a part of a local church. For no other reason than Jesus says that that's who we are. Read the book of Revelation, Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches. He's seen walking in the middle of the churches. You know what that means? That means every time that we gather here, Jesus is right in the center and he's going from place to place. I don't know if you've ever watched Kirk or uh, online services. But it's a funny thing. I, I missed this weekend because I, I didn't feel well. And uh, I watched online. And after our announcements, or just before our announcement starts, after the second worship song, um, we have a meet and greet time. Every church has that, or most churches have that. But ours seems to last forever. Now, when you're here, it doesn't seem like it lasts long enough. But when I'm on, on watching online this Sunday, and it goes quiet, and you see people hugging each other and loving, it's like, come on, come on, come on. But see... If you don't come to church, if you're not part of a local church, you miss that time. There's so much wonderful ministry going on. The body ministering to itself. There's so many people that are hurting. There's so many people that are afraid. There's so many people that are going through things that we can't even begin to imagine. And in those times, God uses the arms and the hugs of believers to minister to those who are hurting. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? If you're a real Christian, then you have to love being around his people. If Jesus loves being around them, and we claim to belong to him, we have to be around them. Love being around them. So yeah, you need to be a part of a local church. If you are a real believer, you will want to. If you don't want to, then I'll give you the same counsel that Paul gave. Examine your hearts daily to see if you're in the faith. But these worldly, carnal reasons that we have for not going to church, I just can't imagine, Eric, you standing before Jesus and trying to make excuses for why you didn't come to a church. Well, you know, a church treated me bad once, or I was abused in a church one time, or, well, you know, I'm tired. I, I don't know how you could ever stand in front of Jesus and explain that away. You know, we live in a time because of the abundant availability of 
Bible teaching online. The devil has convinced a lot of people they don't need to be in church. Oh, you can get taught here. Remember, Jesus is in his body when it's time to gather together in corporate worship. If you're not here, you're going to miss out. Again, I'm grateful for technology. I'm grateful for live stream. We have a very, very large live stream following. Somebody can't get here, or they don't live here, great, I'm glad they're tuning in. But for spiritually lazy people to stay home because they can, points to a problem in their heart that needs to be dealt with. So Kirk, I hope that's an exhortation to you uh, to get involved in a local church body. Of course, that's what we are called to do. Brady wants to know, Pastor Ron, I'm, affect, I'm fascinated by conspiracy theory. How does this affect our faith as believers in Jesus? Brady, as fascinated as you are by them, I am equally convinced that they're demonic. I have watched conspiracy theories destroy lives. And any Christian who falls for conspiracy theories doesn't know their Bible. It's that simple. And I get lots of counseling requests. People want to know, what do we do with this? And I, I believe this, or if this is going on, uh, I just think, you know, do you ever read your Bible? Because if you know the truth, then you would also recognize that which is a lie. And those are lies. Conspiracy theories. Even if there's just a grain of truth, there's still lies. And it's a, a, an attack of the enemy Brady, to divert your attention from that which is important, significant, to that which matters not at all. And he will eventually find an opportunity to destroy you because you're not being fortified, you're not being bolstered by the continual washing by the Word of God. So, Brady, stay away from them. That's really important. Let's go to Daniel calling on line one from San Antonio. Daniel, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I was going to ask you a question. Um, I was going to ask you, I know throughout the years I've seen, you know, the teachings come up. And, you know, at times, uh, I know, like, before, they used to talk a lot about, like, the faith and prosperity movement. And then there's, like, the, the I guess, you see, like, ministries that concentrate on spiritual warfare. And then others, don't, they teach, like, what they call hyper-grace. So, it seems like there's maybe, do you think that some of these teachings are just taken out of balance and they're just, and that's why there's like error that, that comes from, you know, that, you know, you take what the Bible says and you, I guess they run with it or instead of balancing it out with other scriptures, um, you know, like where do you find the balance in, in, you know, as Christians, you know, where we can say, okay, well, let's see what the Bible actually says about this subject, and yep. uh, is it for us? Because then, like, I hear some people say, like, you know, that miracles are not, that ended with the last apostle, and I don't know how much, I've never read into that teaching, so I don't know a lot about it. Thank but you, Daniel. Where would you find that? I, I, I can answer that, I, and I think it's, we, I, the reason I'm, I'm hurrying, we've got four minutes left in the in the program. Uh, Daniel, all all excess is is dangerous. Doesn't matter which side the excess is on. Grace, a wonderful thing. Hyper grace is a license to sin. Um, uh, prosperity uh, and faith uh, teachings are are way 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 out of balance. And and what happens is people hear something that sort of appeals to them, and they pursue that without pursuing the balance. Miracles uh, still happen today, just not like they did. In, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. Um, you, you know, in some places they happen like that, in third world countries, in, in Islamic countries especially, there's, there's the book of Acts types of miracles. But, but see, that's why we need to know our Bibles to find the balance. And whenever you see a position that's extreme, Calvinism and Armenianism is a, is a good example, Daniel. Whenever you see that extreme, you're going to find that the truth is right in the middle. Uh, God's sovereignty versus man's free will. 
Bible teaches that God is sovereign, there's no doubt, but the Bible also teaches just as clearly is that man has to make a free will choice. You see, that's the balance. Then you find no tension between those two positions. So we have to be careful not to get out of balance with any of our doctrine. And I'm glad you mentioned hyper-grace, because as much of a grace guy as I am, uh, I love God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. It means more to me than anything else in life. However, if I use hyper-grace as an excuse to keep on sinning, and that's what some of these teachers do. And by the way, Daniel, if you'll check out their lives, their lives are a torn and tattered mess of willful sin, and they justify it simply by, well, God's forgiven me. So it's really important that we are good stewards of the word, that we find the balance. And these men who are, and women, who have become expert manipulators of God's word, to sell a perspective, um, they're people that need to be avoided. And the only way we can, we can arm ourselves is to really know the Bible ourselves. So balance is always the key, Daniel, and you're on real solid ground if you find the balance. I just find no extremes in the Bible. There's always an explanation, and it brings you back to center where the, where the, the, the word makes sense and is practical and it's logical. So it's very important that we find that balance in the word. Daniel, great question. Thank you for that. Hey, I appreciate you tuning in today. You've been listening to the word to stand on for life. Um, I'm going to have fun tonight teaching in Isaiah chapter 50. going to finish chapter 49 and get to chapter 50. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Date day edition with Paula in studio tomorrow. Ladies, it's your day. We'll see you then. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.